0: Welcome to another episode of The Practical CMO with your host, Mark Corona. Mark's passion is to help leadership teams accelerate revenues and profits using best growth practices and to improve the value and performance of marketing in their businesses.
1: Well, hi, everybody. Welcome to the inaugural broadcast of The Practical CMO. This is a new radio program designed to deliver practical guidance to sales and marketing executives. It's built on theory, of course, but and strategy, but purpose is to deliver some very actionable guidance to you. Today's show is very timely, I think, because we're focusing on the recruiting of sales and marketing executives and how that's evolving. But specifically, we want to talk about three or four best practices, and those would be how do you recruit when the role of marketing is expanding and changing so rapidly? Secondly, we would like to talk about marketing as it's evolving to become the growth champion in many organizations. And we want to talk about the role of sales and marketing. How do they integrate? How have those roles changed over time? And then along the way, we're going to talk about millennials. It seems like everybody wants to talk about millennials and what's different about millennials in terms of recruiting them and retaining them. And uh, that's the essence of today's program. Now, I'd like to introduce a good buddy and expert who's joining me today. Isaac Hethich uh, is an experienced executive recruiter, uh, strategic consultant, he's an executive coach, works with compensation issues. Isaac is the founder of an organization called Catalytic One who brings a lot of innovative ideas and executable solutions And he does it with energy and simplicity. Isaac's business focuses has been on B2B e-commerce ventures, looking at strategies or design, raising financing. He's been an executive coach and really focuses primarily on companies with a software as a service business model. One of the things if you track Isaac down, you'll find that he's written a book called Hiring Secrets of the NFL, How Your Company Can Select Talent Like a Champion. It's a fun read, and since we're in the midst of the uh, playoff season, you might want to track that one down. I would call it a crossover book, uh, bringing hiring practices from one industry and looking at the implications to uh, a separate industry. So, Isaac, welcome to um, today's program. Glad to have you here. Thanks for having me, Mark. I think a lot of our listeners, Isaac, would kind of look at the opportunity to add or change. Upgrade marketing and sales talent is an opportunity, but then there are others who probably are going to take an opposite view, realizing that there's a lot at stake in bringing in relatively high-priced talent. Certainly, the opportunity to bring in new people is attractive, but it also introduces new risks relative to hiring the wrong people, and we all know lots can go wrong industry data indicates that a poor hire could cost up to $2 million when you figure in recruitment costs, salary, incentive comp, termination costs, lost opportunities, and the impact to businesses just from executive churn. So this is a big issue, I think, for a lot of organizations. And I think, Isaac, when you and I first met, We're pretty tuned in to the role that digital technologies would play in helping businesses with their new evolving business models. And we also talked about how it might be challenging for these businesses to find sort of digitally experienced talent who might be subject matter experts as well. And that was a while ago. And if I said how many years it would go, it'd probably age you and I considerably. But how have you seen the recruiting landscape evolve over the last 10 or 15 years?
0: Well, the recruiting landscape has changed considerably. I think you can talk about omni-channel recruiting, which is the trend of going after candidates on multiple platforms, whether it's the social networking or directly through email, the classic phone recruiting. You can talk about the use of resume robots for assessing candidates, which has variable return depending on who you talk to. Probably the biggest change in my mind is LinkedIn as a central platform for professional networking and recruiting. I saw a statistic recently that U.S. News said that 95% of staffing professionals use LinkedIn as a recruiting tool in some way or another, which is a pretty, pretty amazing statistic. So I think that that move towards social media and towards LinkedIn in particular has had a really powerful effect.
1: You know, I think LinkedIn really started as a service to link job seekers with job opportunities. Then it seemed like it became kind of a business information service. Now it seems like it's both with much more expansive coverage in the market. When I look at this, though, and we we think back to some of our earlier conversations about digital technologies and digitally uh, competent executives, what do you think we got right? What do you think we missed? I think, and we're sort of talking about
0: the end of the dot-com era when we talk about these conversations, they do go back quite a bit, but I think, yes, we they do. Do. Yeah, I think you and I, just because of being so immersed in it, it was pretty clear to us that the internet was going to take over B2B business transactions and relationships. What we didn't see coming was the rise of social networking and omni-channel marketing and how much that's changed B2C marketing.
1: So it's really been the impact of technology, the perhaps faster adoption cycle than anyone might have anticipated. That could be one of those things that we uh, we underestimated. You've done so many successful searches for your clients. And today, when you work with new clients, what challenges are you seeing that businesses have? And the reason I'm asking is because I think today, There are dynamics which are relatively unique. For example, this whole issue about millennials, right, and the potential differences in general expectations. I don't recall anybody 10 or 15 years ago having conversations around generational differences. The other thing that perhaps is different is with the evolution of sales and marketing executive roles, how job ready are candidates given the changing requirements of those positions?
0: I'll answer both questions. In terms of millennials, I personally have only things positives to say about them. But then again, I'm probably dealing with the cream, the most ambitious of that cohort in my executive search. But I do think that there tends to be among the millennials a lower threshold, even the ambitious ones, and the, the ones who are fast risers. There's a lower threshold, for lack of a better term, for nonsense and abuse in the workplace. And there's a higher desire for self-fulfillment. And I think they're, they're less willing to put up with the sorts of things that we or even our parents would have put up with in the classic Fortune 500 days when people could expect to spend their career with a single company.
1: I recall sitting with a number of executives from some very large firms based in Madison, Wisconsin some years ago. and they were kind of bemoaning the fact that in the old days, whatever the old days were to them, if they wanted to send a sales executive or a regional salesperson from one territory to another, they'd just say, hey, Jim, how'd you like to go to Denver for a couple of years? And and off he'd go, right? Along with his family. The thing, that the challenge that they were bemoaning is that today, people want to kind of think about it, right? And they want to make sure that their spouse can find an opportunity that it's good for their kids and they aren't willing to just sort of take assignments just because somebody else thinks that they're good for their careers. Is that the kind of of change that you're alluding to? Yeah. And
0: in terms of the second part of your question about how ready are people, are candidates in terms of having the totality of skill sets necessary for new environments, I think that that's really always been an issue as things change. And so you can talk about marketing, you can talk about rigor in any discipline, whether it's marketing as we are now, but you can also talk about it in the technology realms, the difference between someone who, let's say, knows how to program and someone who understands software development methodology and product management methodology. You can have the same conversation in sales between someone who's a naturally good salesperson and someone who understands sales process and account management process in the way that you might be taught, say, at IBM. So I think that challenge is always going to be there when you have some substantive change in a function. And I think it's being dealt with now, and I think it'll catch up. I think you'll see the rigor in marketing where people have both the technology sophistication necessary on the digital side, but also the the classic rigor in terms of marketing and branding and pricing and all that
1: you know i think years ago one of the big research agencies talked about i think they alluded to it or referred to them as digitally literate ceos right these are ceos who they weren't technologists they didn't come they didn't have a prior career as a cio but they needed to understand and speak the language of technology. They needed to understand the power of strategic architectures, for example, of, uh, you know, in it system integration. Are those the kinds of digital rigors that you think are still lacking in the market today as, as companies look at sales and marketing executive candidates?
0: I think in marketing in particular, that there's been a sea change. I think you had a period of several decades, probably from the 1960s through around 2005, where a brand marketing professional, where a classic marketing professional had a pretty consistent profile. And it was the sort of person that you'd imagine would go to the sort of people that that would come out of a, a consumer product packaged goods company, whether it was Procter & Gamble or General Mills or whomever. And since social networking. Really took off there's now an expectation that a marketing person is going to be deeply technical in the tools that allow them to touch the customers directly and I think that it's a change. and I think that mm-hmm. that you can't you can no longer get away with simply being having the marketing toolkit that you might have picked up at Kellogg business school or some best-of-breed business school, you need now to understand the underlying technology that that, that marketing uses. And this is probably a separate conversation, but there's also the rise of a role of chief marketing technologist, which is basically an architect who sits in marketing and helps them make decisions in near real time as to how they ought to be Interacting with their with their customers and their uh, their partners online
1: You know I, I recall sort of and, and coming through University of Wisconsin and Kellogg, I remember some of my earliest marketing education was around the four P's of marketing, right? And today, I I don't even know how many P's there would be, but there'd be a lot of other T's and C's, I think, (laughs) if you wanted to to fully describe the marketing role, right? Because you can't do it in four P's any longer for sure, right? And I think those are really good examples of how the challenges continue to evolve and just makes it harder for anybody to to find those right candidates. And of course, that means that as you recruit people, you've got to look at, more than just their subject matter expertise. I mean, everybody wants that, right? They really do want people probably more often than not who come from the industry, know the industry, although there are times I think where somebody specifically looks for candidates who are outside of their industry because they are looking for innovation or new ideas or best practices from another industry. But it seems like beyond just the industry expertise, this sort of technology expertise or broader expertise has become a requirement would you would you am I sort of recapping that effectively
0: yes yeah i mean i would add i think the difference is in the old days when you talked about someone being technology savvy you were talking about how much do they understand of what's going on in the software development process within their company and now you're talking about how well do they understand the digital online tools marketing tools that are being used by marketing. So it's really a function of marketing having become a lot more technical. Whereas in the old days, it was sort of a nice to have that you understand that technical department. Now you have to understand it simply to be able to do your job in marketing.
1: Yeah, right. Well, and we promised our listeners that we would specifically talk about the evolving role of marketing, and we're going to do that in just a little bit here. Just one other question related to recruitment of these sort of new breed sales and marketing executives. How important do you think when you vet candidates, is it that you would look for evidence of continuous learning? In other words, you know, look for people who realize that they need to change as the role changes as the functions change in order to stay current. Is that something that our listeners should be looking for in candidates?
0: It's absolutely essential. Again, that's something that I think in the past would have been a nice to have and now it's an absolute need to have because marketing is changing so rapidly in the last dozen years or so that if you're not changing with it, if you can't demonstrate that you're continuously growing with it, then You're not going to be able to contribute the value necessary to have marketing have the powerful impact that it ought to be having on an organization today.
1: Well, Isaac, you know, it's been interesting kind of getting underneath the covers on this recruiting issue and retention issue would be related to sales and marketing. I think this is a good point to take a break. And then we're going to come back and talk specifically about the best practices that we outlined earlier. And we have promised our listeners practical guidance on best practices for recruiting sales and marketing and leadership talent. Let's take sales first. I know you've been doing a lot of sales recruiting for your clients. What best practices have you used to help them build strong sales teams?
0: Well, I think a couple of the things I would point to is one of the classic issues that comes up is, do we need to have someone who has sold in in our space? And the difficulty there is there are never enough people available who are selling for your competitors that are accessible, and there are often non-compete issues that come in. So I've come up with the notion that You don't necessarily need someone from your space. What you need is someone who has sold products that are similar in product complexity and similar in in how they go to market. And if you can match those two factors up between a candidate and your company, they ought to have a pretty quick learning curve to becoming a productive salesperson in your environment. And you're opening up the marketplace. You now have access to thousands of potential candidates, not being stuck hung up on. How do we get people out of direct competitors? Also, I think balancing the professionalism and aggressiveness in the profiles of candidates. I mean, you want a salesperson to be aggressive, but you also want them to have process rigor relative to sales, relative to account management. And balancing those two so that you're getting the best of breed in both is a bit of an art, a bit of a science.
1: I think you and I have had at least one or two conversations along the way about what's most important, right? The industry expertise or that sort of just familiarity, or you call it sales rigor, right? It's the understanding uh, of sales strategy, being able to execute sales effectively. I think your model, though, that you've used most recently about finding candidates who have the ability to sell a, a similar type of product, even if it's, not, if it's not exactly the same as your product, understand how to sell in the channel environment that you're talking about it would be a pretty good compromise, I think, between, because you do want the, the sales rigor, right? I mean, that's a lot of that is sort of personal characteristics, and I'm, I'm not sure that a lot of that you can actually teach people, but what's your, I mean, do you think you've kind of found the sweet spot relative to sales recruiting with your approach?
0: Yeah, well, I think rigor is something you can teach people because one of the ways to find it is to hire people out of environments. For instance, let's say someone's coming out of an IBM. You know, if someone sold for IBM for five years, you know they've been through a lot of training in the right way to sell. And you can't make Mm -hmm. the same thing with, let's say, I mean, I'm giving technology examples here. Oracle is well respected for that. EMC is well respected for that. There's certain companies where that's just, you can look at someone and say, okay, if they were there for five years, they know what they're doing. I'm not going to give examples of the negatives, but there are certain companies, very well-known companies out there, where just because they worked there and did well there doesn't mean that they have the best practices in terms of how to sell in a B2B environment. Because... Mm -hmm. It's not necessarily something that was critical to do the job.
1: Yeah. So perhaps I should have differentiated between sales rigor and those personal characteristics that I think make a good salesperson, right? Because I, I think there are just sort of personality characteristics, traits, attributes that one needs to have to be successful in the sales role, which is different from rigor. And I do agree with you. Oh, rigor can big, be time, big time. Big time.
0: What's interesting about the personal characteristics is I'm a little bit of a contrarian on that because obviously they need to have those personal characteristics. The challenge you run into if you've done a lot of sales hiring or recruiting is that there's a subset of people out there who are really outgoing and who are really great at selling themselves in interviews, and they have that skill but they don't have the ability to use those tools and selling successfully for whatever reason. And as a result, yeah. okay. I'm going to look at someone and when I'm looking at a sales candidate, unlike any other position where I'm making a qualitative assessment as to what they're about in evaluating sales reps, my first thing I want to know is did you make quota most years? And if you did, We can start from there and start saying, do you seem to have the attributes that will make you successful in this particular culture that I'm recruiting for? But if they haven't made quota most years, I don't care what their reasons for it are. I don't care how good their excuses are. They're either not a successful salesperson or they're not successful in choosing where they work, which leads to them not being a successful salesperson.
1: Okay. I mean, I think that's fair enough, right? Look at the results and then go back and understand the processes and the ways that they've used to achieve those results. I want to switch things up a little bit though, because we also talked about the evolution of marketing and how the marketing executive role and marketing roles across the board are continuing to evolve. And this time, I'd like to kind of put out my observations and let you react to that, if that would be fair enough. So. As I look at the role of marketing and, you know, as a chief marketing officer, I look at it today and say, wow, it's very challenging for somebody to be a generalist because the discipline has just, and I will use the word exploded in terms of responsibilities and programs. And, you know, earlier I talked about, gee, you know, you could be a marketing executive years ago and just be good with the four Ps. But today, I think those people who started their careers a while ago are challenged by digital and then on the other hand the younger executives that you might bring on board may be really strong with digital but they're not strong with traditional marketing like branding research pricing trade show execution some of the programs that are still sort of foundational go-to-market programs for a lot of businesses and a lot of industries And I also see the marketing executive role evolving into what's called a growth champion or a chief growth officer role. And all of this really creates new challenges related to capacity and capabilities. And, you know, in some industries, they are moving much faster than others. I mean, there are some industries where just understanding how to execute good trade shows, how to build good sales collateral, and have a high performing website are still all of the requirements, but they're becoming much fewer in nature. So what do you think about the marketing roles? I've kind of laid out some of the challenges that I've observed and some of the clients that I've worked with, Isaac.
0: Oh, I think you're hitting it spot on. I think marketing has changed so much, and there's so much opportunity to add value through marketing and to directly touch prospects and customers that it dwarfs the change in sales. Sales has changed primarily to the extent that it interacts with this revolution in marketing. Otherwise, sales is pretty much what it was before. But marketing, I think it's fair to say that marketing is now the dog wagging the sales tail, whereas before there were, as you alluded to, there were plenty of industries where sales wagged the marketing tail, though there are always industries where marketing ruled, like consumer packaged goods. But now that's far more common for marketing to be the navigator for the organization in how to pursue business.
1: So is it fair to say that recruiting marketing executives is a bit more challenging than it used to be because of all the new requirements and the breadth of marketing and the pace that marketing's evolving at?
0: I guess my, again, maybe contrarian reaction is it's more fun now because it used to be that if you had a marketing search, you had to go out there and find someone who had eight to 15 years experience in a blue chip marketing organization, yada, yada. And now there's so many dimensions to what constitutes marketing excellence that there's more of an opportunity for someone who's into calibrating that and making a great match to add value. So I I
1: enjoy it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think from your perspective, it's probably more fun. I'm not sure from our listeners' perspective that going through all those hoops would be more fun. But I do want to just ask one more question related to the integration of sales and marketing. I mean, you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, I've had roles where the company insisted that the title was sales and marketing and not marketing and sales, which that was a articulation of their preference of what's most important, Right. Marketing and sales are both important, but they interact very differently. And I've written an ebook about that called the Intelligent Sales Pipeline, which really looks at how, how funnel management, how pipeline management has evolved, and marketing now has a lot more of the front-end prospecting responsibility than it used to have, and does a lot more qualification before those leads are handed off to a sales organization. This whole integration issue, I mean, it's it's evolving as well, is it not? I mean, we've talked about how each of the positions is evolving, but now there's also the integration of sales and marketing is uh, being looked at very differently.
0: Oh, absolutely. And I have clients where those contests go on internally as to who owns what functions and some of the functions around lead acquisition and around prospect evaluation that might have previously been in sales. There's now a pretty strong push from marketing leaders who see this big picture of saying, you know what, I'm, I'm not trying to build an empire, but that really belongs under our umbrella
1: in marketing. Great. Fair enough. Well, I think this has been a pretty healthy dialogue. I, I'd like to just summarize the best practices that we've talked about. We've talked about Looking at the expanding role of marketing, particularly the technology drivers in marketing today, we've talked about marketing becoming more of the growth champion in businesses, driving overall growth, particularly mid and longer term growth of the businesses. We've talked about marketing. You use the language of marketing as the dog wing, wagging the sales tail. I think they're both important. They're both necessary for and the integration. absolutely required for companies to be successful. And We chatted a little bit about millennials, and you're basically saying, hey, they're not all that different, but they do have a desire for self-fulfillment that you need to pay attention to. Is there anything that we missed that you would want to add in here as we do a wrap on this program?
0: No, I think we covered a lot of good material today, and I'm uh, delighted to have done this with you.
1: Yeah, well, thanks, Isaac. Great to have you here. Thanks for joining me. You know, I think what we've just reinforcing is, it's all about great people first, right? That's one thing you and I have always has agreed on, that you can have great programs and great plans, but unless you have the great people to execute them, you'll probably come up short. So I would like to give you some information If for listeners, if they'd like to follow up with you and I, Isaac, um, they can reach you at Isaac at catalytic1, that's number1.com. And your uh, cell is 612-386-0299. And you can reach me at mcorona at chiefoutsiders.com. It's m c o r o n a at chiefoutsiders.com. And my cell is 612-554-0081. Thanks, everybody. Look forward to being with you in future programs.
0: never miss an episode. Be sure to look for The Practical CMO in all your favorite podcast apps or on our website, thepracticalcmo.com.